Welcome to Radio BX, the podcast of the Building Energy Exchange, where we discuss sustainability and energy efficiency in the built environment. This year, the theme of Radio BX is radical scale, the people, processes, and technology that will ensure our buildings meet the dramatic needs of our future. A natural extension of our core mission to foster dialogue among the entire community that impacts the performance of buildings, Radio BX is made possible through the generous support of our 2021 sponsor, National Grid. I'm your host, Yatza Frank, and I'll be talking with leaders who are driving positive change across the country and abroad. So stay engaged and join the conversation each month with some of the most compelling people in our field. Welcome, everyone to Radio BX. I'm Yatza Frank, your host, and today we are speaking with Donnell Baird and Don Lemperer of Block Power. The equitable distribution of sustainability has been a concern amongst many folks of our community for many, many years. Improving the quality and performance of our buildings uh, obviously comes with a huge array of benefits. And those extend well beyond just mitigating climate change, as important as that is. They include direct human health and economic benefits. And it's obviously imperative that those benefits are available to all of our fellow citizens, not just those gifted with the economic means to do so at their leisure. There's also no doubt that the events of this last year with the growth of the Black Lives Matter movement Uh, has increased the urgency around a huge variety of environmental justice issues uh, and and just as much uh, within our own community around green building and sustainability. And few companies, I would say, have been as involved uh, directly in efforts to ensure that disadvantaged communities are not left out uh, of this movement to improve the performance of buildings overall. So we are uh, grateful uh, and excited to have Donnell Baird as the CEO and founder of Block Power uh, and his chief of engineering, uh, Don Lemperer, um, for our conversation this morning. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Radio BX. Glad to be here. Thank you. I wanted to begin with a little bit of uh, history. I'm interested from both of you, um, what you studied in school um, and whether at that time you knew you were going to end up focusing on energy efficiency or sustainability issues. Don, you maybe want to start? Yeah, so my, my story uh, started uh, way back in the 90s, and I uh, actually studied, I have a bachelor back in France, uh, uh, and my diploma is from France, and I studied uh, really on applied physics. I have a bachelor in applied physics and uh, decided uh, to um, to go and and find out more about energy and environment. So I have a master's degree on the, in energy environment. So this has been mm. uh, right now, but you know, three decades that this is my um, every day. I'm I'm working. <laughs> I'm waking up and uh, and uh, thinking about energy. So uh, that's uh, that's for me. That's great. Yeah, I I mean, for me, I no, I am the total opposite of Dom. I did not study applied physics. I studied uh, black history and American history and literature in college. Uh, So I was very much trying to learn about history and politics. um, And that's that's where I started. So I came to energy efficiency pretty late. It wasn't until I was, you know, 32, 33 um, that I started studying the field. Great. I mean, Donnell, you and I have to have a separate podcast about uh, literature at some point uh, <laughs> as well. I'm sure there's lots to chat about there. Um, so, Donnell, how did you come to founding uh, uh, Block Power? 
And then how did you entice Dom into your orbit as well? Well, we're just lucky to have Dom. I mean, it took, it took lots of cajoling. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would say otherwise, but um, we knew that Dom was our guy, the right person to, to kind of lead our company um, into this next phase. And so came up with a, a set of projects, I think, that were interesting to him intellectually. And, you know, Dom can talk more about how long he's been thinking about electrification of buildings and how important that is to him personally. Um, in terms of starting Block Power, I uh, was kind of an outside staffer. I didn't formally join the Obama administration, but was a senior staffer on the campaign and worked very closely as an external consultant um, to the green buildings and energy efficiency folks at the U.S. Department of Energy mm-hmm. um, and the EPA during the first Obama um, administration term. And, and so I traveled around the country to 23 different states talking to governors and mayors and congresspeople and investment banks and utility executives, as well as labor unions and nonprofits and community action programs around weatherization assistance dollars and uh, energy efficiency innovation and workforce development and what kind of financial innovation we would need uh, to really scale the energy efficiency industry up. But you may note what was missing from that is, you know, the kind of mechanical engineering and electrical engineering innovation that Dom represents. That's what it turns out is critical um, to, 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 to scaling this industry up. So, um, after working on that project for three years, I knew that we needed financial innovation and software innovation. So I enrolled in Columbia Business School and halfway through business school started up Block Power. I mean, all along applied to business school with the intention of figuring out how to build an organization that could scale energy efficiency retrofits in low income communities. Right. Yeah. And for, for my part, I think um, I remember uh, that I met uh, Donnell in 2015, I think just shortly after Block Power was created. And uh, um, at that time, I had a little bit of a hard time to understand exactly what, what Block Power was about. Definitely. Ah, you still you still <laughs> do sometimes, Doc. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and uh uh, but uh, I think the term disruptive was very trendy then. And uh, that, that was the adjective that I had to describe what Block Power was about. Disruptive to the industry that was pretty, you know, engineering based, very technical based, you know, uh, driven, I would say. And uh, that was a different, uh, different spin, I would say. Um, and uh, so I tilted my head and said, well, we're going to, to talk again. And, and we talked again and I had the chance to a... Um, um, do some consulting, uh, actually, as an independent consulting, uh, I think in 2017-18. And uh, we talked again. Uh, and when Donnell, uh, uh, you know, got back to me then, um, he said, well, we're going to do electrification. And, and electric heating has been, that's how I started my career. Um, and uh, I said, well, that's a fantastic opportunity. We're going to electrify those, you know, thousands of buildings. And I know that I knew then that Buck Power was totally capable. That was not, a, you know, just just a, a theory uh, of doing that. So um, it's a little bit personal, also, just to say, well, let's get all the way with uh, back to electrification. And uh, in April 2019, uh, I became a full-time employee. So it's going to be almost uh, two years and uh, working hard and and uh, for the right reason. So um, very excited about all this. Great. Um, Donnell, it seems like the early focus was around efficiency and financing retrofits. 
uh, amongst sort of disadvantaged communities. And, and now um, you've sort of moved also towards ap applications of heat pumps. Is that a sort of accurate representation of the arc? And, um, uh, or how has your focus evolved for block power over time? We knew that moving buildings from oil in New York City, despite all the laws and best efforts, there's still thousands and thousands of buildings that burn oil in New York City. And so we knew that moving those buildings off of oil would be a huge uh, business opportunity for us. When we started the company, you know, cold climate heat pumps, you know, weren't technically as advanced as they are now, right? And so I'm not sure it would have made sense to 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 focus on cold climate heat pumps, you know, back in 2013. Um, but now it does. And so it's one of those things, the technological innovation allows us to, you know, turn buildings into Teslas, right? All electric, smart, healthy, green, all electric equipment. And, you know, so we should do that uh, because the cold climate heat pump innovations allow us to do that. Um, so Dom and I and Cullen and Keith and the other members of our team have worked to develop financial innovations that allow us to distribute and finance and install mm. uh, this new hardware innovation, the cold climate heat pump. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would like to add also in terms of uh, who, who we are as a company and, and to your first point, um, I think serving the underserved is really at the, you know, it's part of the DNA of the company. Uh, this has been uh, really at the, at the beginning. This is why it's, it's part of the mission. Um, and as, you know, um, Donnell explained, you know, the, the shift to electrification really came from observation, right? Uh, what's going on? I mean, right now we have in New York uh, State, New York City, um, utilities, you know, and NYSERDA, everybody's have been lining up and understanding and, and knowing that this is the right turn that, that the society needs to, to do. So uh, we are here as a company to, um, uh, to pull, you know, to pull really this, this uh, electrification industry um, and also making sure that uh, the underserved um, this time around uh, can actually uh, jump on the wagon and, and uh, you know, uh, and, and have access to, uh, to electrification as well. That, that's at the core. Yeah. Dom, for those that aren't familiar with this sort of technological shift, could you sort of describe in layman's terms this this change with heat pumps, this this sort of ability of heat pumps to deliver, um, uh, you know, in cold climates at this point? Yeah, I mean, heat pumps uh, as a technology, there's nothing new about that. I mean, they have been around for, I would say, maybe five decades. You know, they are very very common in. Um, mild weather in the US, I think in a whole oh, part of the South and, and uh, many other regions, um, this have been, you know, a very common technical technique to uh, heat and uh, cool a, uh, a building. So nothing new here. I, I recall um, doing an audit uh, or several audits actually in, um, in our early 2000s where I saw um, electric heat pumps in, in New York buildings. And unfortunately, it was a disaster. People were complaining about high bills, and 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 for and the and the technical reason for that is, I would say the early generations of heat pumps work really well in my climate in mild climates. That's why in the south it made actually sense to to cool and also heat a building. But when uh, te uh, uh, temperature outdoor temperatures 
uh, drop below, you know, 32, 34 in a, you know, freezing uh, temperature. Uh, the early versions of the heat pumps uh, were not capable of providing enough heat. And uh, as you can imagine, this is pretty bad. And to a, um, um, uh, so what was, was done uh, from uh, heat pump manufacturers was to install a uh, electric resistance on top of that so that that was a nonsense because we have the <laughs> technology as a heat pump which is very efficient right it, it right. takes about you know uh, a third of the of the power of electric power to run a heat pump comp you know as opposed to electric resistance so the whole idea makes made sense but um you know for cold climate um that 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 just didn't work uh, at least economically right Right. Uh, so it's been probably like 10 years uh, from, you know, uh, from today where there was some pilots, manufacturers actually tried to expand their market to a colder climate. So uh, the technology uh, have evaluated, uh, have really changed and, and improved to actually allow heat pumps uh, to operate if, uh, in very cold climates, you know, very cold outdoor conditions. Right. They run fine, very well in Alaska, in, in Canada today with temperatures down to 17 below, you know, I mean, wow. that's manufacturing, uh, manufacturer's uh, data. Uh, so that changed mm -hmm. the whole thing, right? That's really the whole thing. And it was, I think, a timely uh, technology uh, breakthrough, right? Uh, uh, because, you know, we needed to get rid of, of fossil fuel. So everything start, as I said, you know, start to line up <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. from the technology, from the manufacturers and also the market and the condition of the planet. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Great. Uh, thanks for that history. Um, is there a sort of sweet spot for block power in terms of building type, uh, you know, age of building, size, ownership structure? Yeah, um, what what we do essentially is uh, looking at uh, existing buildings, right? That's this is at the core of our. Of, I mean, this is our market, existing building. Uh, so that's that's those who who are today, you know, uh, burning fossil fuel. So um, I, I think as a company, you know, starting um, as you know, a two two person company back then, right? Don't know. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a company size, so we need to think a little bit about about the market, right? How does it work in the energy market? You have a market for individual homes, when it's more like a prescriptive approach. You have that small thermostat, you have that thing, right? And for large and and you have um, manufacturers or distribution system that is set up, right? For larger buildings, uh, much larger buildings, you have larger companies who are looking at this. Um, and uh, at the market and making uh, big projects, you know, conversions and so on. Um, so when you are, I would say, a company of a different size, right, you have to find your niche, right? Yeah. And the niche since the beginning of Block Power has been the small to mid-sized buildings. And that market is not, I mean, it's totally, on, I mean, talking about underserved, but that market also is underserved, right? Depending on, on the, if it's affordable housing or 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 market rate, it doesn't matter. This is a, um, a market that is typically too small for the big guys and too big for the small guys. So what we are working on is, is really those small to mid-sized buildings, uh, existing buildings. When it comes to New York specifically, uh, we have uh, those buildings are pre-war, you know, brick, uh, all brick and 
um, central system. Um, and in terms of, um, I would say the you know ownership structure. You know, again, we're we're really working with mostly with privately owned uh, right. affordable housing, right? So that this five-story walk-up uh, building, you know, New York five boroughs, you know, we, we see them a lot. So that's that's a bread and butter, I would say. Uh, but also we are we are tackling other type of buildings, um, some larger buildings and multi-family buildings, um, and also individual homes, so one to four. Um, oh, okay. So you you do a lot of that work as well. And yes, exactly. When you talk about small to mid-size, how many, like roughly, how many units are we thinking there? Right. In in terms of apartment apartments, I mean, it's typically below, let's say, seventy apartments. But again, you know, th- there's no strict rule about. Of that. course not. Of course not. I'm so curious about the because you do you do as you say. Um, you're focused on a portion of the market that is, uh, you know, underserved in terms of environmental justice, but underserved just by the raw market dynamics as well. Yes. In many ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah that lack technical assistance, um, or a lack affordable, precise technical assistance that is helpful and it's going to provide accurate recommendations and, you know, lack access to financing in trusted construction partners. And so, uh, you know, I like to think about it strategically. I mean, we want to be the SWAT team, right, that comes in and does the hard buildings and hard projects that no one else wants to do. We we want to focus on those. Um, all the skyscrapers, you know, downtown Manhattan, there's a there's 100 firms that you can hire to help you with those. What about all the other buildings? And so that's that's what where we want our specialty to be. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit about the role of financing in your work? I think that one of the issues in our industry is that there's there's a lot of players that do parts and and a lot of time the own building owners and or even tenants in some cases are sort of left to try and piece those parts together and that is just a massive barrier um, even if they have the funds uh, you know access to funds to do it but it seems like you try to kind of uh, kind of barge through a lot of those barriers by getting folks access to financing we believe that financing should go hand in hand with engineering and construction management and measurement and verification. So instead of a building having to hire, you know, seven to 12 different firms to help them with a retrofit project, they can hire one company, that's us, and we will provide all the necessary solutions and products and services to help that building go all electric. And financing is just one part of that. Um, So just as important is the fact that our financing is integrated with engineering, that our CFO can say, hey, this project, you know, Dom, we got to change this project from an engineering standpoint. The equipment that we've prescribed is just, it's too expensive to install because the construction manager says there's some unforeseen problem on the installation. So we actually need to redesign this or re-engineer this project so that it is a financeable project. And because we're a one-stop shop, we're able to redesign that project and then uh, finance that new project. And so I think it's it's in those situations and in hard, complex, complicated uh, projects where we're overhauling buildings, uh, energy equipment, um, that block power has the chance to shine because we provide that one-stop uh, turnkey solution for our customers. Right. 
And and also on the financing side, um, I mean, we uh, we put together um, a relatively innovative um, uh, solution in terms of, of financing, and it's uh, it's based on leasing, right? Rather than having the building owner having full ownership of the asset, uh, asset being the new asset being a heat pump. So um, yeah, it, it's really around. Um, I would say a service. You call it you know heat as a as a service, you know, as, as, a a, as a service or heating and cooling in this case of heat right. pumps, obviously, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and, and where Block Power uh, actually owns, I mean, develop, owns and operate uh, the asset uh, for the building owner. So that's on top of the bringing a, a novelty or innovation, I would say, on the heat pump applications for affordable housing and, and you know, the stuff, you know, any type of, uh, of buildings. Um, and given the current situation economically, right, uh, where access to uh, dollars or loan uh, might not be as easy for every everyone, um, uh, we we strongly believe that bringing that lease offer can accelerate, I would say, uh, the number of projects and and make um, make this technology um, a, a possibility for for everybody. So that's um, yeah. You were, uh, Block Power was the program administrator for the New York City Community Accelerator. I wonder if you could speak uh, about about that work, your experience, um, you know, sort of running essentially that program and what you sort of learned from that process to kind of bring forward to this this year and coming years. Dom, I'm curious about your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, exactly. And, uh, and the fact is, uh, you know, I was brought in, I think I mentioned that I was brought in as a consultant to actually uh, try to get to the finish line. There was a lot of work being done. And you're absolutely uh, right. Um, uh, Block Power was uh, the administrator of this uh, community accelerator, which was, I don't know if I should define it as the little brother of uh, retrofit accelerator, uh, but at least it was targeting smaller buildings right that was right. that was a pen it, it, was, it was the unloved adopted <laughs> orphan <laughs> sibling of the retrofit accelerator come so, on now yes <laughs> however however i think uh there was a great outcome and uh all this was definitely a team effort and and uh just to brag a little bit right uh on be you know uh, on behalf of all the block power team but uh there was targets um as the project, you know, started with the New York City uh, uh, Mayor's Office of Sensibility of, uh, of 500 uh, buildings within three years. And uh, um, and uh, the outcome was extremely positive because um, Black Power went beyond those targets, right? Uh, uh, we were close to 700 um, buildings uh, where we installed uh, retrofit, energy retrofit of any type, right? Uh, from right. lighting to uh, boiler, you know, gas to... Uh, um, oil to gas conversion, et cetera. And uh, we finished up in um, two and a half years um, instead of the three months, you know, with that target. So I think that was um, a great program uh, that definitely helped um, with the image, I would say, uh, of block power to deliver on the the program and really show um, that the tools that we are using to outreach uh, to building owners and, and deliver um, is was a real thing. So um, I think it's really propulsed. You know, <laughs> we went to a different level, and uh, mm, that is yeah. helping us now. Uh, definitely a, a very positive experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd add a few things. I think that 
you know, all credit due to Mayor de Blasio and his team for taking a chance on a startup. I mean, we were, I don't know, two years in at that point, two, three years in. Right. And for the city of New York to award a multi-million dollar contract to a minority-owned firm that was a new firm, that's a startup, um, it's kind of unprecedented. You just don't see many governments um, taking that kind of risk or perceived risk by partnering with a startup. Um, and so we're really grateful to the mayor for his leadership on that and, and, and a lot of the climate leadership that he has provided that I think you know, isn't quite covered in the press or in the, in, in the conversation in the city, but it's really important. So that's one. I think we were happy to create a data set and a methodology to help buildings to come into compliance with the green buildings mandate, right? And, you know, in many ways, our pilot was supposed to create a data set and a set of case studies that would help the city and the city council uh, figure out what kinds of policies made sense you know, you know, in the in the green buildings mandate. And so, you know, we were proud to do that. As Dom said, you know, we overperform. We finished the project a year ahead of schedule, which is great. And, you know, 670 uh, buildings, apartment buildings and a handful of community buildings some low income buildings, affordable housing across Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, during that time frame, we also put solar panels on 200 single family homes in Brownsville, Brooklyn, which is New York City's poorest uh, census tract and neighborhood. And so we think we were able to learn a great deal and that that program gave us a great foundation. Um, The challenge was, of course, that coming out of that program, cold climate heat pumps became available. And so a lot of the lessons that we learned at that time were now applying to uh, installing and financing heat pumps in buildings. And so, you know, there's new lessons to be learned. Um, about about how to you know take the community outreach and technology and software that we built for that community retrofit nyc program and how do you apply those lessons learned to installing heat pumps so that's exactly what dom and i and the team are focused on now yeah and and having a, a great you know building a great network of contractors you know hvac contractors uh was also a huge benefit you know to uh to uh, to the company and we we do work today with with uh, HVAC contractors who have um, not you know who who were installing boilers before. We're thinking also now and actually working towards installing uh, heat pumps. So uh, that aspect was also very uh, very important. Yeah, I'm curious about um, sort of market uh, spread in these communities where you're working. You know, in other areas of the economy, right? You you see a friend with the new Nikes <laughs> on, and you think, "I would like a pair of those myself." Um, is 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 it as simple as that in, in this market? I kind of doubt that it is, but I also think there must be a lot of power in these 670 buildings are adjacent to other buildings and other you know community members. Um, does that help with the the sort of penetration into the market, or is it through other means that you're kind of getting? you know, gaining ground in these, these communities? Yeah, I think that um, from a marketing standpoint uh, and word of mouth referrals, we, we really believe in, you know, referrals from successful projects as being a huge source of um, new projects for us. And so, you know, heat pumps don't quite have the, the brand and market recognition of Nikes, but, you know, (laughs) 
part part of it is that's exactly what needs to change, right? I mean, yeah. Why shouldn't they have a brand that everyone recognizes? Yeah. Right. If you look at a startup like Casper, they said, "Hey, we're going to invent a new kind of mattress and sell it to millennials. We're going to brand this a mattress with a, we're going to anthropomorphize it and give it a personality and surround it with a brand that's attractive. And you ride the subway and you see the Casper ads." Why can't you do something like that with heat pumps? So part of what we're doing is, um, you know, we're, we're working with some advertising firms and marketing agencies to look at how do you communicate the power of the heat pump as a silver bullet to dealing with climate change in New York City? How do you communicate that power to customers so that customers understand how important, how powerful these and transformative these systems really are to, to their profits, to their comfort? to you know whether or not new york city is going to be available to their grandchildren or if it's going to be underwater um how do you embed all of that in a brand that's easily recognizable so that's one of the things that we're working on over the next two to three months actually yeah great um just thinking a little bit about the technologies involved we talked a little bit about cold climate heat pumps Uh, do you package the introduction of heat pumps with ventilation upgrades is there the ability to consider in the building types that you're commonly kind of working in heat recovery ventilation, a kind of modern ERV systems, uh, or is that not quite in play as of yet? Yeah, when, when it comes to uh, ventilation um, and more, I mean, even more uh, uh, prevalent now because of the COVID situation and, and, uh, and the stress, uh, that uh, building owners and everybody has actually about uh, about the threat of COVID. Um, we we definitely address uh, the the ventilation along with a uh, heat pumps uh, installation. Um, now there's there's different ways and and older buildings, as you know, may or may not have a ventilation system. So many of them have, have a natural ventilation. So bringing uh, a ventilation, a new ventilation structure or infrastructure is sometimes, you know, either impossible technically or just way too cost prohibitive. However, uh, we see uh, a lot of uh, potential improvement uh, on the operation, on maintenance, making sure that the ventilation actually works and operates as it is. Um, You know, with older buildings, unfortunately, a... uh, a full, um, you know, heat recovery or energy recovery system as a retrofit is is never easy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that it's a huge challenge, and we all know that uh, we already have a challenge in terms of the project economics, the cost of heat pumps. It's already, you know, an expensive improvement. Um, and sure, we are we we are not neglecting the ventilation at all, at all but there are also additional measures uh, that are very cost effective that always go along with the installation of a heat pump. A heat pump, you know, use electricity, which is an expensive energy, although it's efficient uh, with a coefficient of performance of two to three to four, right? So it means that it uses, you know, a, a third of the energy to, to operate, right? Um, uh, and uh, uh, so measures like insulation, we're really focusing on the building envelope, right? Um, and, and the first measure we're always look, looking at is um, how tight, airtight the, the building is. And we have, believe, believe me, we have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. so air sealing, 
and making sure that they're not, there's enough, of course, you know, air, fresh air coming into the building for people to, uh, to breathe um, is, uh, is what we are really looking at, you know, really along with the, uh, the installation uh, and going full force uh, with uh, electrification. So, um, and there's opportunities also with the um, um, insulating, you know, the attic or, you know, the top floor, um, uh, windows, uh, you know, which is all, always a little bit tricky economically, but so the entire building envelope, we want to make it, uh, along with electrification, a pretty efficient uh, building envelope. That, that's, that's the goal. Um, as I say, ventilation, it's, it's sometimes a bit tricky uh, or trickier with uh, existing buildings. Yeah, it's great to hear that you're taking a kind of envelope first approach because it's just so critical to overall, you know, Climate mitigation citywide is that's absolutely required. Um, we can't just apply new heating and cooling systems to our old buildings and not upgrade them at the same time. So no, exactly right. I mean, we had the same situation, I would say, with uh, solar panels, right? Right. And for for many decades, it was uh, so expensive and so on. And but you know, the old idea was to install solar panels, not to supply power to an incandescent light bulb right. <laughs> so we're in the same situation you know yeah. let's do the right thing with you know combining that really in parallel yeah i wonder if you could speak to you know broadly what you feel are the biggest challenges to providing these disadvantaged communities with access to uh, retrofits and clean tech money of course um uh but I imagine that's not the only barrier. Um, I wonder if you could speak to what you see as the biggest challenges. Yeah. Uh, so indeed, money is is uh, is a I would say the number one uh, challenge. Um, um, what what we see also um, in buildings and and unfortunately mostly in affordable housing is uh, uh, the lack of budget and resources to actually maintain. Right. Imagine. So, so we go to a building and we find we, we put a project, we put together this uh, this wonderful technology. Um, and but like, I mean, same thing with boiler. It's a make. I mean, heat pump is electric system, but it's a mechanical. There's a fan, there's cores, there's all kind of uh, technology and, and component uh, that need, that requires uh, to be maintained uh, over the years. So uh, that aspect, we really thought about about this um and it's it's an issue, and and unfortunately, as I said, you know, for um, buildings and mostly um, um, affordable housing uh, buildings. So, given this, um, we really put together um, our thoughts together and come up, um, as I mentioned about uh, the financing option, which is leasing, to have block power also maintaining those uh, those systems. So that relieves. Uh, the, the issue that I just mentioned about not having the capacity within the building to have the resources to clean the, the coils, to, to replace the filters, etc. So that aspect to, to maintain uh, the assets for, for the life cycle of the asset um, is, is, a, is a very important one. So we, we kind of um, try to tackle uh, that issue. I would say with affordable housing um, specifically, uh, there, there has been, uh, or there is maybe um, uh, still now some regulatory um, reasons also. Um, in many buildings in affordable housing, uh, the heat must be uh, included uh, depending on the contract. It must be included in the rent. And uh, uh, so that split, you know, <laughs> 
uh, I would say incentive somehow, but uh, also splitting the heating and cooling uh, where the building owner actually a, um, pays for the heat, but the cooling is actually paid by each individual uh, directly to the utility is, is somehow a, a headache because heat pumps provide both. <laughs> Uh, so we we worked on, on this. There, were, there has been we have had um, an issue, and I think it's being resolved or resolved today uh, about how um, administration actually are seeing electric heating, right? And and unfortunately, in the rules, um, the electric heating was only electric baseboards, right? So which are very inefficient. So the 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 allowances um, uh, to the uh, tenants of affordable housing at a certain amount that was based on electric baseboard, right? Uh, which is totally different because the cost, the operating cost of a heat pump and electric baseboard are, are totally different. So there have been a lot of people have been working toward that and, and try to resolve that issue. And, and uh, that, that has been a hurdle uh, to a, um, a broad you know, expansion or distribution or installation of those uh, air source pump is affordable housing. But I'm, I'm very, you know, pleased to see that um, those initial hurdles have been worked on. I, I would just add, you know, there's a huge barrier when it comes to trust and mistrust. Um, mm. You know, by definition, low-income communities aren't served very well by the existing set of service providers whether that's financial, whether that's construction, whether that's landlords, you know, I don't think most people would say that low-income communities are getting like the highest quality service available in our economy. And so there's a real sense of mistrust. You have to, you have to really prove to people, to our customers, that we care about them, that we're listening to them, that we're not just here to take money out of their pockets and take advantage of them but we're genuinely here to help. And that's where, you know, the, the 870 projects that we've done in Brooklyn provide us with a reference and a context to where building owners can talk to one another and say, you know what, these guys genuinely helped. You know, something got screwed up on the project. They came back and fixed it, you know, no charge. You know, they, they follow through. They mean what they say. Um, so I think that too often uh, if you approach energy efficiency is like an emergency situation where the customer's in trouble and it's a chaotic solution. You know, that's one approach. But in order to proactively sell energy efficiency and electrification to building owners, there has to be a high degree of trust to overhaul, you know, the most important system in, 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 in a multi-million dollar asset. And so part of what we have to do is make sure that we're building that trust. So one of the things we do is we have community advisory boards where we may have rabbis or pastors or elected officials, mm. uh, local nonprofits that are already trusted in the community to collaborate with us and lend their credibility to a retrofit process in a certain neighborhood. Um, and so that's worked quite well for us. That's great. We have a new federal administration. Thank God. Uh, sort of, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, you know, we already had a, a, a city and state administration that are very much committed to these issues, but, but how does, how does this new federal administration sort of affect your work moving forward? Does it change the prospects for scaling sustainability in these um, underserved neighborhoods? Let me start uh, by saying, 
I believe that the Trump administration's gross negligence and antipathy towards renewable energy forced leaders at the city and state level across the country who are alarmed about climate change to kind of look in the mirror and say, the planet's going to start burning. If I don't do something about this locally or at the state level, it's not going to happen because the Trump administration is not going to subsidize our solar panels or whatever it is we want. And so you've seen this explosion of 150 cities have passed legislation that they want to be 100% renewable energy, some by 2030, some by 2040, some by 2050, depends on which city and state you're in. But we like the aggression in terms of mayors and city councils saying our city will be renewable 100% on some time frame. So that's great. And I, I don't know if that kind of local aggression might have happened in a different context in a different administration. So that's that's yeah. one. We do note um, it's lost on many observers, but not on us, that the Biden-Harris administration has committed that 40% of all the benefits of their climate infrastructure investments will benefit low-income communities. Now, that policy is based on our own policy in New York State that Governor Cuomo and the legislature has adopted um, at the urging of environmental activists like Uprose and Elizabeth Yampierre, Eddie Batista and the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance. Um, these community organizations, frankly, many in the Latino community, have pushed uh, for uh, the Cuomo administration and the state of New York to, to have 40% of the benefits of our clean energy and energy efficiency plans in New York state benefit low-income communities. And that, that policy has been adopted by the Biden-Harris team. And they are hiring in staff like Shalanda Baker, who I spoke to yesterday, who's you know deputy director of environmental justice in the White House, um, who are you know, fully intending to implement these policies across the country. So what a massive opportunity to really electrify low-income buildings and in many cases, leapfrog gas. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I went to, I visited Sub-Saharan Africa in 2007. They didn't have landlines in Liberia. Uh, they didn't have, you know, telephones that you would pick up that were hooked into the wall. Everyone had a cell phone, right? They'd had a massive civil war. And instead of rebuilding the landline telecom infrastructure, they, you know, everybody just bought cell phones. So they just kind of leapfrogged the need to invest in telephone wires. And that's what we need to do with natural gas in New York City and in low income communities across the country. The buildings have been neglected in low income communities for 40, 50, 60 years. Now we're going to upgrade them. We're not going to move them from oil to gas. We're going to leapfrog skip over gas, and we're going to move straight to electrification. So there's a massive opportunity to do that. And uh, the Biden-Harris team, I think, is going to provide a lot of the data, the policy analysis, hopefully from some tax breaks and workforce development funds that will allow us to um, implement electrification at scale across the entire country, but of course, including and prioritizing low and moderate income American households. That's excellent. And I think um, a great and positive note to finish on. I really, really appreciate both of you um, joining us uh, today. I wanted to just note some of the uh, accolades you're getting in the chat um, on this um, 
on this forum. Uh, you guys rock. <laughs> Turn it, the quote of turning b- buildings into Tesla. That's fire. Um, you guys are rock stars, et cetera, et cetera. Also, someone noted that you have just raised a new round of funding, which is probably heartening to hear, even if you weren't looking for it. Um, hey, Dom, you're a rock star. <laughs> you're the rock star. Yeah, we have a band. We have a band. <laughs> <laughs> An electrification bed. Yeah. I, you just have to start selling t-shirts. It's uh, <laughs> a good idea. It's a good idea. Thank you both very, very much. And thanks very much for our audience for joining us this morning. And um, we look forward to seeing you at another uh, Building Energy Exchange event soon. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.